Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. Welcome here this morning. Hey, I've got good news for you right off the hop. Um, my kids sat me down last week and um, after the message, and, and they said, Dad, too long. <laughs> and so Fran didn't really differ in her opinion either, so I got the message, and I'm going to try and keep this shorter today. Uh, we're in our last week of Choose Your Own Adventure, and we've been looking at King Josiah and four key decisions that he made. And this whole series is sort of premised on the idea that we reap what we sow, so to speak. It's not an exact science, but as we make decisions, our lives play out accordingly. So generally, good decisions lead to better outcomes, and bad decisions lead to less desirable adventures. And we tend to see that really from an early age. Um, I can remember, we've got four trolls, for those of you that don't know us, uh, Joel, Tori, Craig, and Brent. And when they were growing up, they were notorious for coming down and using cup after cup. They couldn't use the same cup during the day. And one evening, Brent was about four, and I was in the kitchen, and he came back barreling down the hall into the kitchen, and he had this little system that he'd worked out where he could get, get up onto the counter and then up into the cupboard to get another glass. And there was about 13 glasses already out on the cupboard and on the, the table and so on and so forth. And, and I said, wait a minute, you little monster. Like, <clears throat> which one of these other glasses is yours? And he looked around and he said, none, of course, right? None. And so I said, there's no way, and I went off into a tirade about how they need to figure out, you know, which color is theirs and keep that color all day long because we're just going through glasses left, right, and center. And he listened to me go through this whole diatribe. And finally, he says to me this, he says, he looks up and he says to me, you know what your problem is? And he's got his finger out. You know what your problem is? And I said well, what's that? And he says, you had too many kids. (laughs) He didn't really realize the implications, being the youngest. But the fact is, is he, he was doing the math, and I had to turn around and I had to bite my tongue so I didn't laugh, but I was actually somewhat impressed that even at his age, he was following and connecting the dots. Dad, you made a bad decision, and now you're living with it. (laughs) Josiah points us to four really good decisions that we should emulate him, that we should follow him in. Week one, we looked at the fact that he chose to seek God. 
Week two, we looked at the, the whole idea of him purging the idols, getting rid of everything in the country, anything in his world that subverted his pursuit of God, his worship of God. Then we looked at the fact last week that he responded to God's word, that he held God's word in high esteem and brought himself in line with it. This morning, we're going to be looking at the fact that Josiah chose to lead by example. His fourth excellent decision was choosing to to lead by example. So if you would, let's just pray. Bow your heads with me and we'll ask God to come and speak into our world. Father, today again, as we come together, thank you for this time. Thank you for each one that's here, for each one that's joining us online. Father, I pray that wherever we are, that you would meet us now, that you would come alongside us by your spirit and that you would speak into our lives. That as we examine this decision by Josiah, that we would learn and that we would grow and that we would follow him in it. All for Christ's sake and in whose name I pray. Amen. All right. So Ruby read from 2 Chronicles chapter 35. I'm going to start and go back to 2 Chronicles 34 this morning. And if you would, join me there, and we're going to read verses 29 to 33. There it says, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in the book, in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So, again we see Josiah puts his faith into action. He recognized that it wasn't sufficient for him just to know and learn and understand about God, to hold an intellectual position on him, but that he had to take his knowledge and then put it into action. He had to act on it. And from that, we are reminded once again that our faith is faith in action or it is no faith at all. If we sit here and learn and just ingest it, absorb it, but that it then, and then not have it work itself out, permeate into the world around us through our actions, then we have no faith at all. But beyond that, beyond that insight from Josiah, we are wise to also note that Josiah's action was now to lead the people by his example. Check it out. As you back through that little passage of Scripture, 
We see Josiah lead by example in a number of different ways. He called the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, got them together. Then he led the people, all the people, from the least to the greatest, to the temple. Josiah read from Scripture. He himself, the king, read the Scripture. Not just one of the Levites, not just one of the priests, but Josiah himself. And Josiah then renewed the covenant. He himself again renewed the covenant with the Lord on behalf of himself and the people. And then, as Ruby read, he went on, we see in chapter 35, to reinstate the Passover, to reinstate the worship of God throughout the land. And that was a big thing. It was a huge deal. And I'd encourage you to go back and just read that. And as you understand more about Passover, you start to understand the significance of what that was that Josiah was bringing back to the people and to the, to their, to the land. Huge, a huge deal. And even there, he didn't just reinstate Passover, but Josiah celebrated it himself. He was right there with the people celebrating Passover. Now, leadership has been taking it on the chin in our world for quite some time now, and understandably so in many respects. Unfortunately, today, people avoid leadership, and for a number of reasons. Oftentimes, we avoid leadership because we don't want the responsibility. With leadership comes responsibility, and we've been indoctrinated to think that we can have rights without responsibilities, that we can sit back and not have to do things and still have the rights that go with that. And so we've avoided leadership as a society. We sometimes avoid leadership because with leadership comes work and hassle, not to mention rejection and hurt. It's a challenge. And so we look around and we say, well, that's not for me. Somebody can get in line for that abuse. I don't need it. And so we shrink from the responsibility of leadership. But I think maybe more than anything today, we're avoiding leadership because we're disillusioned by leaders. We're disillusioned by the leaders that we see around us today so often in various and almost every category of life. And I would submit this morning that I think that that's because so oftentimes today, leaders are not leading by example. They're leading from different places. They're leading by their position. We lead by our position, for example, as parents. Or we lead out of our authority, perhaps as a boss, or what have you. And so oftentimes, Leaders today are not leading for the good of the people, they're leading for their own benefit. And as a result, leadership has taken it on the chin. Rarely do we see leaders leading 
by example. But leading by example is a hallmark of our faith today. And we need to understand that as followers of Jesus Christ today. That we don't have a choice in this idea of leading. That as we sign up to follow Christ, that we are now called to lead others by our example. And we see that in Scripture. Peter calls us to follow Christ's example in 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 24. There it says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you, we, have been healed. Paul also joins in this call. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, there Paul says to the Corinthians as he writes to them, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul recognized that as he followed Christ, he was also expected to then be leading others behind him. And he makes no bones about it throughout his ministry. Throughout Scripture, Paul was not shy about calling others to follow him in the faith. And you and I today need to be doing the same thing. We can't be shy about this, which means that we can't be flippant about it either. We can't just make the statement, follow me in my faith. We've got to play it out. We've got to work it out. We've got to walk it. But we've got to be bold as followers of Jesus to say to others around us, follow me as I follow Christ. Whether that's our kids, whether that's our friends, whether that's our neighbors. But it's not just Peter and Paul that make that command of us today. Jesus himself speaks to this in Matthew 16 verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Christ is the ultimate demonstration of leading by example. But implicit in his command to us to follow him is again what we find as a call to lead others by our example. Josiah stands as a clear illustration of that for you and I today. A clear illustration that we are called to lead by example. He led 
his people by his example. And as he initiated and participated in Judah's renewed commitment to God and to worship of God, they followed him in the faith. So, like Josiah then, and Peter, and Paul, it is now our turn in our time to lead others by our example so that they can follow. Not just by our position. Not just out of whatever authority that we have. But we're called to lead by our example. Now, while I am here this morning, I want to speak to something that I think that we've got messed up in our heads today. And it's a trend out there that I run across often, and it seems to be growing, maybe. It definitely isn't seeming to disappear. And that's the fact that some of us have come to think, some of us have come to think and hold that we can talk and act contrary to our faith and that that somehow validates what we believe. Now, you're following me? Some of us are running around under the misconception that we can talk and act contrary to what our faith purports what our faith espouses. And that as we do that, we're actually validating our faith. That somehow my testimony grows as I contradict what I say I believe. Now, so for example, as I go out and use some colorful language in the day-to-day, or as I tell an off-colored joke, or as I happen every once in a while to get a little wasted, that somehow that's validating what I say I believe, despite the fact that it's contrary to what my faith teaches. In essence, then, what's going on is that that's like saying that because I choose to, say, smoke some cigars and indulge in the odd pack of cigarettes and occasionally enjoy the odd pipe, that you should take me more seriously when I tell you that I believe people shouldn't smoke. That's in essence what we're doing. And frankly, that's absurd. What speaks to the legitimacy of our faith is when we authentically try to bring ourselves in line as best we can in our words and in our deeds with what Jesus Christ 
taught us that we should think, say, and do just like him. That's what authenticates our faith. That's what validates our faith, is when we bring ourselves in line with him and try to live as he lived himself and as he calls us to live. Now, some of you are saying, well, wait a second, Doug, how about this? Because like, if I was, if I'd done this before, like if I would been a smoker and now I can speak into the lives of people and say you shouldn't smoke, then that has more credibility. That, that gives me some more credibility. But here's the point. It doesn't give you any more credibility if you're not trying to quit. The only reason that that would give us more validity or more uh, credibility is if we had done something experientially in the past and now recognized by the fact of our faith, by the, the, the uh, significance of our faith, that we were turning away from that. And I think, honestly, there's even a bigger precipitating factor here. I don't think it's that we're really looking to validate our faith. I think that that's become convenient. I think what's more in play in that argument or this idea, this misconceived notion, is that we're worried about the whole goody two-shoes label. We think that somehow, if we go out and live like Jesus lived, that we're going to look like a bunch of pansies and the world around us isn't going to be at all impressed or interested. That somehow that that's going to impair my testimony for God. It'll be somehow an, ob an obstacle for them. So that might be part of it. But I think honestly, even beyond that, really what it is, is that we've got this idea of a goody two-shoes, and that's become just a convenient excuse so that I can rationalize my way out of having to live like Jesus. So that I can take some of the things in my life and I don't have to change those things because that makes me somehow more authentic. Or I argue that that makes me more valid because I'm a real person. And now as a real person, then I can speak to faith and people are going to take me more seriously. So two things here on this. Two things. Number one, here's the deal. Jesus calls us to live like him. There's no debating that. Jesus calls us to live like him. That's the bottom line. And the way that he lived is different from the world. There's no doubt about that either. And so what that means is that that is going to result, as we follow him and as we live like Jesus lived, as we think like he thinks, as we act like he acts, as we 
speak like he speaks, then we're going to stand out from the world around us and we're going to take some shots for it. So we better just get ready. Because that's just the deal. But number two, and I think this is far more so the case in point here. Usually, the, the, the criticisms that we encounter in life from the people around us are criticisms because of our approach and the approach of other Christians rather than what we're actually doing. And the problem here is that we tend to run around and try and tell non-Christians what to do and what not to do. We tend to try and force our perspectives on them. To behavior modify them. And honestly, that's not our job. That's God's job. Our job is to love people and introduce them to Jesus. And it's hard to show them that we love them when we're beating them up, telling them how bad they're doing and what they could be doing better, etc., etc., etc. And at that point, if I'm a non-Christian, I'm calling you a goody two-shoes and probably a lot more. And for sure, I'm checking out and turning you off. So long story short, we need to be smarter in our approach. Which is to say that that brings us all the way back again to leading by example. We have to live out our faith to those around us in winsome ways so that they can see first and so that hopefully then they can follow after. So this morning, the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we do that? We're not exactly in King Josiah's position where he can make all these sweeping changes and lead by his example as the king. We're just Joe Public. But all is not lost. Paul actually gives us a really good place to start as he speaks into the life of Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. There Paul says this, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul's speaking to Timothy here as he's, as he's preparing Timothy for the work of ministry, for his position as pastor, if you will. And so Paul's trying to build into his world, speak into his world, and giving him this 
path to follow that's going to help him with what's coming ahead. But this morning, we, we don't have to dismiss this as something that's just for pastors. As a matter of fact, again, as we go through Scripture, we find out, hey, we're all pastors to some extent, some of us formally, but all of us in terms of our call to the world around us. And so this applies to us as well. We can learn from it. And the first thing that I need to point out here is, is that there's a bit of a debate here as uh, it's translated here, set an example for the believers. Well, there's a bit of a debate in that because some would contend that it's actually set as an example as a believer, not just for the believers. So you'll see in some versions, the NASB, for example, that it's more geared towards, hey, Timothy, go out and be an example of what it means to be a believer to the world around, to non-Christians. In the NIV, in some other texts, then, or translations, they've, they've said that you're to be an example for believers as you go out and pastor. And I get the, the, the discussion, given the context of Timothy going into pastoral work and so on and so forth, but for our purposes today, for all intents and purposes, again, we can take Paul's advice to Timothy and we can do it both ways. It works both ways. We're to go out and be an example today, not just for non-Christians and not just for other Christians. We're to be an example, period. So we can apply this. Next, we need to understand here that as Paul calls for Timothy and us to set an example, he is calling us to set an ongoing example, an ongoing pattern, actually. So he's not asking for one big catastrophic event that would demonstrate that we are a Christian. Not one huge example that sort of establishes that fact. What he's looking for is just an ongoing consistent testimony, an ongoing consistent example to the world around Timothy, to the world around us of what it means to follow Christ. And then, note as well that in this little list in Timothy, it's not an exhaustive list. Paul isn't just, hasn't packed it all into this and this is the be-all and the end-all and the end of it. There are lots of other ways that we're also to be an example. But rather here, what Paul does is that he sets some really broad parameters in the example that he's calling Timothy and us to. So in that, he does so first by pointing to two comprehensive categories. He says to Timothy that we are to lead by example in our speech and in our conduct. That we're to lead by example in our words and our deeds. And this is so important. Paul's, oh man, Paul's smart. God's even smarter. It scares me sometimes. Because I want wiggle room, right? I want to be able to get around this. But Paul just kind of cuts us right off at the knees right away. He says, dude, you've got you to lead in word and in deed. Which is to say, across the spectrum. It's not good enough to talk one way and walk the other. 
And nor can we walk one way and then talk the other. It's got to be consistent. It's got to be the same. It's got to be true, both of them together. Oftentimes in life today, it's not that uncommon for us to hear, do as I say, not do as I do. Don't do as I do. And that can't be us as Christians today. We can't proceed on that kind of a basis. Our actions have to line up with our words, and our words have to line up with our actions. They have to be consistent with our faith. We need consistency in all respects. Then, Paul calls for Timothy to be an example in three specific ways. Love, faith, and purity. Now, love, we're going to be speaking on actually next week. So I'm going to skip over that today. We're going into a new series starting next week called Make Waves. It's going to be cool because we're going to go out and make waves, I trust, in our community and beyond for Christ. So don't miss that. So we're called by Paul, first of all, to be an example in our love. We'll talk about that next week. Secondly, Paul calls us to be an example in our faith. And here Paul is calling Timothy to respond to things, to the things that we encounter in life, to the events that we encounter, to the situations and circumstances that we run into in our lives, in the course of our days, according to our faith. He says, just respond to these things according to what we believe. So be an example of how our faith plays out in the circumstances of life. So, more specifically, for example, again, in positive circumstances, then don't forget God, but stop, take a moment, be thankful. Demonstrate your thankfulness to the world around you, that you recognize that this good circumstance in, our li- in your life has come from Him. It's a blessing. It's a gift. In challenging circumstances, then don't despair, don't throw up your hands, but demonstrate to the world around us that we trust God, that we don't necessarily understand what's going on, but that we can trust Him no matter what, regardless of the crappy circumstance that we might be in. That we have a hope that transcends our circumstances. That we're not prisoners of them because of Christ. That when we go out in life and we are wronged. Anybody have that happen to you lately? When we go out in life and we are wronged, that we need to exhibit forgiveness. Because that's what Christ calls us to. That we don't hold grudges. That we don't seek revenge. That we don't malign and slander. That we forgive and we move on. No gossiping. Etc., etc., etc. Even when we access some juicy tidbit that we're dying to share. When we stumble across an item of information that would give us great delight to be able to enlighten someone else with. No gossiping. We go on down the list of things in our faith that we're called to 
Paul says to Timothy, Paul says to you and I today, be an example of our faith. Lastly, Paul says, grow in your example of purity. It's interesting to note that this was written somewhere in the 60s A.D., (laughs) but it seems so absolutely pertinent in our society today. I don't know if it could ever have been more pertinent than it is today. Right now, in our world, it's an understatement, believe it or not, to say that our society is fixated on sex. How can that be an understatement? But it is. Sexual immorality reigns supreme in our world. And while all areas of sin cause issues and problems, this area is just loaded with destruction and devastation. And our world today is reaping the ugly rewards of a very, very messed up perspective on purity. So, Paul calls us today to be an example of purity from how we handle our phones, our computers, our televisions, our screens, to how to have proper friendships and work relationships and how to build great marriages. We need to lead by example in all these respects for our fellow believers and the world around us because we're messed up in both categories in this area. We need to lead by example. Paul gives us some great insights of where to start and where to grow from there. In the last verse of 2 Chronicles 34, it says, As long as he lived, as long as Josiah lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. That maybe tells us a bit this morning about the significance of leading by example. On one hand, it demonstrates that while Josiah was there leading the people, they followed. But it's also there marking the fact that when Josiah wasn't there, the people fell away. While you're here to lead today, to lead by example in your faith, somebody is going to follow you. But if you're not there to lead by example, if we abandon the call on us to lead by example, Josiah is also here to tell us that people are going to fall away. He serves as an example, a model to us in that as well. So here's the thing. This morning, I'm not discouraged. As a matter of fact, I'm oddly invigorated and encouraged by this series. It is so cool 
to think about what could happen, what would happen, if you and I today stepped up our lead and stepped up our example. Can you picture what might happen in your family? Can you picture what would happen at work, in our community, here at FBC? This series has been so cool for me distilling it back down in the middle of a, of a time and a, and, a, and a point in our world where we don't know what's going to happen next. But we know who holds the future. And what he's calling us to today is to seek him. Is to rid ourselves of the stuff that's holding us back from following him is renewing our commitment to his word and now stepping out and leading by example into tomorrow and the world around us. Just last week, we as a staff had our chance to do our, our spring retreat. We've been praying about that coming up to it and man, it was just so cool to see God come alongside us and, and point us to some stuff for the future. I'm really excited about it, where we're going to go starting this fall, some of the things that we've got planned. And just even just the way that he c- continues to craft things, and it just kind of blows your mind. We're going to come out of this series, and we're going to go into another series now where we're going to make waves as we focus on what we need to do as followers of Christ, who we need to be, the example that we need to set, it's going to be so cool. We're going to go through the summer doing that. And then we've got some really neat things planned for the fall as well. And all the way through till the end of August of 2023. Actually, even a little bit further than that even. So, FBC, I hope you're encouraged. As we look at Josiah, let's just use him as a bit of a bellwether, as a benchmark for us today, as an, as an inspiration so that we don't have to just wander around in our lives right now as victims, so that we can actually move out with force and with intention and with purpose. Seize the day for Christ. Let's pray. Father, now, God, I pray that you would sink Josiah's decisions deep into our hearts today, that you would make us into modern-day examples of him and his decisions to follow you. Lord, God, I pray that as we do that, that we would realize the benefits that come with that of leading by example, seeking you, holding high regard for your word, and purging ourselves of all these things that hold us back. God, take us as your people. Change us. And then use us so that we would help others to find you. So that they would not have to die into a godless eternity. And I ask these things now all in Christ's name. Because of what he's done. For his sake alone. Amen. Hey everybody. Next week, Donut Sunday. See you then.